Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, welcome to the 370th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Jake Hanby. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today you get a Matt and Oren episode. We, oh, finally. We, we finally. are talking about management woes. Mm-hmm. We're talking about management in three totally different ways. We're discussing switching managers like reps. It'll probably mm-hmm. be a little more general little than managers. Above. Yeah, we'll talk about management style. Like, what kind of manager are you? Are you a nice boss, a mean boss? Are you helpful and informative? Are you kind mm-hmm. of in your own world? And I, I really want to dig into like the artists versus the business person, and mm-hmm. and trying to mm-hmm. choose your style there. And then finally, if we get to it, as Matt noted, uh, we're going to talk about time management, which has been on my mind, and I've been doing an awful job at it, but still somehow. You're the one that didn't make it to our podcast recording yeah. last night. I didn't say I was doing a good job either. Yeah, I feel like you're usually better at it than me. You're usually better at, at saying no to things. Mm, that's true. I'm always that's hearing true. producers say, yeah, I called Matt for a job and he said no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're good at it. <sighs> yeah. So if we don't get to the end, you've lost your being good at time management. We've learned nothing. Part. We've learned nothing. Well, before we hop into it, Real quick, mm-hmm. in 30 seconds or less, Oren, tell us about the Patreon. The Patreon is a place where you can support Just Shoot It, the podcast. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot It Pod. Uh, you can give us a dollar, two dollars, twenty dollars. We'll get you a Just Shoot It, the podcast hat. And by the way, if you want something else from us, just tell us. You know, we're, we're not really good at knowing what our listeners want. So mm-hmm. email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com and just, mm-hmm. just say, you, you know, I would join the Patreon if... You did if this. only this. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. it was free. <laughs> uh, anyway, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Go check it out and support your favorite podcast. The one that's telling you how not to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Oren, we have a little bit of a catch up. So I know exactly what you've been working on lately. And I'm curious to know about the first topic, switching managers. And specifically, I think you're current situation is less of like a lit manager or like a a person who represents you on the scripted side and more in the world of commercials. Yeah. But I think this should hopefully apply to everything, you know, Mm -hmm. and I hope it applies to people that have representation and people that don't have representation. Mm -hmm. That is, I think at least when we started this podcast, it was one of the biggest things that we would talk about, like how important is it to have an agent? How important is it Mm -hmm. to have a manager? Mm -hmm. And 
I believe that we kind of had the attitude that you will get one of those when you need them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have one, it's probably because you, you're not at a level where you need one yet. You know, over the years, I think we've learned a lot about what these people do for you. You know, the manager in general is supposed to be in charge of your career. But I think a lot of directors feel like, oh, I made this movie and it, you know, played at this mm-hmm. film festival. And now I want the manager to get me jobs based off of that movie and get me mm-hmm. interviews and get mm-hmm. me general meetings. These things that we've been talking about, what happens in Hollywood all the time. But in reality, yes, I think the first couple months that you sign with a new manager or agent, they'll introduce you to some people. But then you're just like a person on their list and they're your entryway into Hollywood or you know wherever they're managing. There's someone that you can send a script to, you can send a short film to. But in general, I don't know a lot of people that are just getting a ton of work from their managers. Do you? Yeah. You know, I think, I think that my perspective has shifted a little bit because I think that, you know, um, there's a couple different ways that managers can help you. And I think that we think of like you were outlining Oren, like, Hey, I wrote a great screenplay and they get it read by people and maybe it happens and maybe it doesn't. But, um, I think like what we were talking with Britt McAdams, um, uh, an episode or two ago, you know, most of the time scripts, even great scripts don't really happen. And no one kind of even including your manager is going to say like, Hey, this isn't happening. They just kind of slowly just fade away. And that can be a frustration for everybody, especially the filmmaker who spent God knows how long getting that script and that package and that all those supporting materials ready to go. That's a narrative that we've heard a lot of times, but I think that there is another, the other extreme of that is like that essentially your manager is your producing partner, your business partner, and that maybe they're fielding things on a creative level, but like they're selling through advertising on whatever media it is that you're creating. They're managing your merch deals. They're managing your clothing line. They're managing kind of all these other peripheral things. Right. That's if you are a brand. Sure. But, but also I think that most managers to have like a a kind of a, a reasonable quality of life kind of need a cut of like one or two of those because that that's where the income is basically right now. Like if you're a person, ma- managers make a commission do the same way that like filmmakers do. So if you if you're a feature filmmaker and you're making a movie every 3 years, a manager can't plan to have a life based off of the commission of a handful of clients making you know making a movie every 3 years. That there's no way to make a living that way. So I think that there is uh some reality to that whether you're a super mega star or an influencer or, you know, I think there's also still people who are kind of just your work a day journeymen, writers and directors who are a little bit more consistent and maybe you can kind of eke a, a living together there. But like the, the extremes being that I think managers are like running your business and on the other end is like, oh boy, I just hope that they read my screenplay and like it and maybe get people to read it. Right. Yeah. And maybe that's why I do think a lot of people probably don't need managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a producing partner, if you are doing things, if if you are have access to like an outlet for either to show people your work, mm-hmm. like you're an influencer or something, um, you know, then like you said, the manager maybe becomes more like a business partner that is helping you monetize. 
your work. Uh, but I think if we think of film writers and directors in the traditional management model, they're really just your person to help you get things made. And they're just one person like you, you know, they, mm-hmm. well, yeah, though, I think just to push back, like the, the difference is, is that they have access, right? So, um, you know, when you're at anonymous, they know who's buying what, and also they can set up a meeting, right? You can mm-hmm. only take it so far. Like It's kind of like filmmakers often just need a manager for, you know, 10% of the year, basically. Right. But and also that manager has to be a fan of your project. So if you're sure pitch your project to your manager and they're like, eh, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Then it's kind of a little bit of a dead end. On, yeah. On yeah. that I side mean, of things. <laughs> as an anecdote, you and I both, it's rare, but every once in a while we'll take a meeting together and we were talking to a, a producer and manager who we both like very much. And I brought up my current project and he was like, I don't like those. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't <laughs> into the genre. Yeah. Yeah. He was just like, no, I don't like these. And so, okay, well, no one's going to make you make a movie you don't want to make. And that that's that, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have to kind of go be your you own manager in that out. situation. Yeah. 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 So anyhow, so that's managers, agents, a whole different thing. Again, I think if you're in TV, if you have contracts to negotiate, an agent and a lawyer can help you out with that. Yeah. There's the middle ground of just like being the work a day just like oh i do a handful of episodes of tv every year those people still like you have to have someone there to take care of that stuff for you as well yeah that and that is not us though we don't (laughs) we don't have a ton of experience with that but um in the commercial world it's uh similar but different it's similar in that you do have someone that represents you and it's usually a production company right you're on a roster of a production company and ideally for that company, you're only on their roster, right? So mm-hmm. if you work for anonymous content or if you work for tool or smuggler or hungry man or pretty bird, you're not, people can't hire you through other companies. Uh, now you and I are both kind of have been in this quasi hybrid mode where we have maybe been on a roster of a company, but we still had permission to work with other companies as long as they weren't competing with the company whose roster we were on. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you were with Ken, did you sign a contract? I did. Yeah. How long was it yeah. for? Two years. Yeah. So it's, so there's this weird thing in commercial directing and our friend Jordan Brady is, has a lot of thoughts on this, but these companies will make you sign a contract for two years saying, Hey, you're not allowed to work with any other company. You, you can't compete with us for the next two years. We basically own you as a director if another company wants to hire you, they can pay us uh, to hire you, but you're our person. And now this, for many, many years, was kind of standard in commercials. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I could be totally wrong about this because I've only only been in, in commercials for, for so long. But, uh, but years ago, you would have profit participation, which means mm-hmm. if the company made a big profit, you would get some of it because you're almost like a partner in the company. You're a partner in the company, which not to tell tales out of school was part of kin basically. Right. And, and every company I've ever worked with has had that and signed with, but I've never seen it personally, like the profit side of it. And also they used to have retainers where they would say, Hey, we're going to pay sure. you some money just to be on our roster. Like, like get like a minimum guarantee. You're not going to yeah. go starve this year. Cause we're going to give you, regardless of how many jobs you get, we're going to give you $30,000. So some, some amount of money, right? 
And also back then, same in the same sort of scenario, companies would invest in your short films or your spec commercials or I think honestly because the budgets were just totally different and the work was different, it made sense for companies to need to hold on to directors who were in demand in a different way than they do now. Right. And they were trying to make you be a director in demand. So if someone wants to work with Matt Enloe, mm-hmm. they have to call Kin or whatever company you're on the roster of. And then you're bringing them business mm-hmm. They and they're helping build your career. And they're also the production company. So they're producing right. it and doing all the things, overseeing it. Incoming calls. Yeah. Right, they say, yeah. And they're they're handling the client and agency and all that stuff, which is good and bad. It's good because they're taking care of it. It's bad because you can do 10 jobs and not really have much of a relationship with the client or agency because mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. all separated from the director. Right. Right. So the idea being like if you are a name brand of some sort, then then who cares? Right. Michelle Gondry's not doesn't need a relationship with BBDO, right. the agency or whatever, because because he's just on a list. He's of Michelle Gondry. Directors. Yeah. And they just find him. So, or Taika Waititi is a better example nowadays, or something. You yeah, know? they're both. I mean, and you know, Michelle Gondry's brother also is like a big commercial director now. Still doing it. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. The interesting thing is nowadays when you sign with a commercial company, now look, if you're Michael Bay, if you're David Fincher, maybe it's different. If you're like Taika Waititi on Hungry Man's roster, maybe this is different. But I think kind of the middle class commercial director like us gets this two-year contract that they have to sign, but they don't get 
any sort of retainer. They don't get any guaranteed money. They don't get any guaranteed amount of work. And I think also, I don't think any, I could be wrong, but I don't know that anyone's getting retainers anymore. I think it's just that the, that other echelon that you're talking about isn't sweating it either way. Right. And then if there is profit participation, my director peers that are commercial directors, I haven't heard of them getting anything, making any sort of significant money from this profit participation idea. Uh, and look, it, it's hard to make money as a production company. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I very much believe that there aren't all these profits that we aren't getting paid. But the interesting thing about this dynamic, this contract and this relationship that you get into with a company is that they basically are saying, Hey, you're not allowed to work with anyone else. Even if we can't get you work. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I'm, I've been with a company that's been great to me in some regards, you know, they support me and they try to get my name out there and they, Mm-hmm. I've done a, a couple jobs with them, but uh, in reality, I only did one job. I only pitched on one job since I signed with them mm-hmm. a year ago. And for me personally, I need to, you know, direct more Make than more one thing a year, right? Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things where you kind of had um, a relationship where if you knew that someone else was interested in pitching you on something you could kind of go back and forth with them which is sort of a similar thing that i had um back in the day and so that's how we survived just to clarify it's not like oh you made one thing and then you've just been living off of that you were you've been working pretty consistently as listeners of the show know but if you didn't have the special accommodations that you had you'd be in in real trouble yeah i mean i i do feel like i've hit a little bit of a ceiling because at some point with the bigger budgets and the bigger projects and the bigger agencies, like you need to do DGA jobs also, right? You Mm -hmm. need to do union jobs, you need to do SAG jobs. And all the kind of, all the jobs that I've been doing over the years have been mostly Mm non-union, you know, union job here and there, a SAG job here and there, if it's a celebrity, but non-DGA. And there's, there's just a cap to how big those jobs can be. It's basically like, oh, my friends in the marketing department of this company, they're going to let us do this small spot for them and you can direct it, Oren. Up to a certain extent. There's certainly stuff that's bigger than that. But yeah, it does sort of peter out at a certain point. Yeah. No, on occasion, like I've gotten a couple like million dollar-ish campaigns that I somehow weaseled my way in to. It's really like 400 is probably the cap, right? Yeah, I think kind of like the yeah. 250 to 500 range is yeah. is like the bigger stuff I was doing. And then I, you know, I did a lot of things in the $100,000 range, like mm-hmm. a lot of tiny things. Sorry. And obviously I'm talking about commercials here. A hundred, I don't think is tiny for like uh, anything sure. else, like a short film or a, a pi- And also pilot. just the expectations for what the the thing is, the spot is, you know what I mean? Like there's plenty of stuff that's meant to feel more lifestyle or more documentary or more interview or whatever where a hundred thousand dollars is a huge healthy budget you know? right or but like, like you, the things that we're doing yeah. yeah yeah editorial stuff you do you know you shoot something with uh kendall jenner you know at, mm-hmm. while she's doing a vogue photo shoot and you make a fun short film like you can do that for like yeah sure no money but we're doing scripted comedy where we have locations and actors and casting mm-hmm. and all the, all the stuff and client weighing in yeah at every That's step really of the, the way thing. and changing yeah. their mind and so now that I had this kind of two year commitment to this company, but they weren't getting me enough jobs and all these other companies that were kind of interested in pitching me 
I was like, let me check with my company if it's okay. And it just wasn't working. And I felt like there were all these opportunities that I couldn't really go for because I was uh, on a roster. And so I decided to, to leave, to try to Mm -hmm. go to one of these other companies. And the company that I was with said, but Hey, you you can't go. You're in this two year contract. The reason I bring this up is because I think it might be useful and it probably applies beyond just Mm -hmm. this. Like I'm sure it applies to screenwriting and scripts and other, any, in any kind of creative field where you are basically sign a contract that you're not allowed to work with anyone else. Uh, Mm -hmm. An exclusive, an exclusivity contract. Yeah. Did you know that in the United States it is illegal to prevent someone from working with someone else to prevent someone from getting employment if you're not paying them? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. So I had to, yeah, because when I was told, Hey, you're in this contract, uh, I was always under the assumption that, yes, we have this contract, but either one of us can cancel it at any time. Just and say, hey, I'm, let's terminate yeah. this, con- this contract. The terms it, are no it longer favorable. Felt like, it felt like a little bit of a formality of just like, hey, we both agree that we're going to do our best to not. Yeah, to help each other out. And if out, we're not, outside of that. If, if the time comes where we're not a good fit, then we can, you know, break up. So. And, and just to, as a tiny counterpoint. You know, we talked about all the things that used to be back in the day, you'd get a retainer or they'd make your short film with you or whatever. It is still, there are still real hard costs, even if they're not paying for a treatment writer or a layout artist of like just a person's time of a team internalizing your reel and knowing exactly what you're, you're best for, you know, uh, getting you up on the website, uh, you know, all of that stuff, which isn't a huge lift. It's not crazy, but it's. It is an investment just kind of as a counterpoint to like, uh, you know, what are they doing? And there's a lot of like, you know, connections they're putting on the line by saying, hey, I'm going to pitch Oren. I've worked with this producer for 15 years. I I vouch for him or whatever, you know, like there's there are tangible things and intangible things that are really, really valuable that are they're expending on a director when they sign them. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that they are not doing anything for me. They're of course promoting me as well mm-hmm. as the, in their entire roster. But I do happen to know if they have a, a huge job with another director, they're spending less time on me and they're working more with that director, mm-hmm. uh, which is totally understandable. But can you imagine just being at home, unemployed, waiting for work, getting bills, trying to pay your mortgage sure. and all that stuff. And I, I think that is the premise for the meme account director content. That is the the exact premise for most of their jokes, basically. That we're just waiting for calls. Yeah, yeah. Do you not follow director content? I think I do, but I oh man, I or a lot of stuff. <laughs> Boy, they it, that, that's the one. Uh, Roxy, she told turned us onto it. That's the one that stinks the hardest for sure. Well, anyway, the one thing that I feel slightly guilty about is that I the one thing I shot with them is like at the top Uh, of my reel it's at the top of my website it's starting to garner some awards attention and it definitely is is like one of my favorite pieces on my reel Mm -hmm. it's not the only Mm -hmm. thing and before this of course this company had been using all of my past work to get me jobs Mm -hmm. fairly unsuccessfully (laughs) they for sure gave me something but you know in tv this happens all the time an actor is like with an agent for 10 years and they're trying and they're trying and they get this co-star and they get a guest star here and there and nothing happens. And then finally they get, you know, a lead role on an AMC show or an yeah. FX show and CAA comes calling. Hey, 
You want to switch agents? <laughs> I mean, I, I think what we're talking about here f- from the very beginning of this is that all of these people are business people. That's why they're managers. That's why they have production companies. They're business people. Um, and we're the dummies who are like mm, following the muse and like writing the screenplays at coffee shops and all that stuff. But so if you're a business person and you have a finite amount of time and a finite amount of resources and one aspect of your business is generating the majority of the income, where do you spend your time and resources growing that part of the business? That's it. And when... To be more specific, are you referring to like if you had 10 directors that you represent? Star and, clients is what I'm talking and about. And one or two of them are making millions of dollars yeah. and the if, other eight you, you can't get a job to save your life for. If you and I are on the same roster with Michael Bay, then... Which I basically was. You basically were, right? Then... And the Michael Bay jobs get you, more you're attention. spending a lot of time fielding the Michael Bay commercials and incoming calls and... And also Michael Bay's booking million dollar commercials, yeah, not like $10 million commercials. Yeah. $10 million commercials. Right. Exactly. One of his jobs pays for the whole company for a couple of years. Right. And you would be an idiot to not focus on that. Right. Yeah. On the other side, his job is what is paying the people that are trying to get you work. And mm-hmm. he's giving the company a better reputation. And people are like, oh, yeah, Michael Bay's did this this thing with this company, we should check out this company and Oh, Oren works for this company also. Yeah. And, and look, that's frustrating, right? Like I think listeners at home are like, Oh, well, what do I do then? I'm not Michael Bay. I don't have this incredible career. Basically everybody except for the person at the top of the food chain has that feeling. I think every Hollywood is filled with strivers, people who are trying to level up and get even further than where they are now. And I think, uh, you and I are constantly obsessed with like what the next step is and how to, improve our careers and lives and art. All yeah. At once. And also how to be, I think my main goals are to be financially comfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't want finances to ever be like a big stress in my life. And the older I get, the more stressful, worried I, yeah. the, the more yeah. I see people aging out of the business, you know? So, you know, I have to be financially very secure <laughs> before I stop mm-hmm. directing. And the other thing is I want to be creatively satisfied. I want to be proud mm-hmm. of the work I make which is, you know, I'd say four out of five times, I'm not that proud of the work I made. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always excited about it when I go in and I think it has potential. But at the end of the day, I'd say one out of five, I'd say two to three things per year that I shoot. I'm like, wow, check this out. You know, Mm -hmm. and I want to be the director, like a, you know, Ian Pond's Jewel or one of these directors that eight out of eight of the things they direct are amazing. Just incredible. Yeah. Anyhow, so that's that's where I'm at. I'm uh, yeah. mid-stream for switching. I haven't you know, signed with anyone new at the time of this recording, but I have some some very ex- mm-hmm. you know, exciting prospects. A little bit. Yeah. 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 You know, the thing that we've ignored and is the emotional part of all of this. Oh, you yeah. Know? Oh, it's uh, um, it's horrible. It's terrible. You know, you and I both have been married for a long time. It feels like breaking up, though. You know what I mean? You have to have a conversation like and you can't go. I think nowadays I think other people will just like ghost each other or whatever, block their numbers. Like you can't do that in a business relationship. No, no, I Um, I would never. But it's still personal. Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course you wouldn't. But what I'm saying, like 
Yeah. You, you have to confront it head on. You have paperwork to deal with. And also you're hurting people's feelings. You're saying, Hey, I think that for whatever reason, this business relationship isn't going to work out anymore. Even right. though you believed in me and I believed in you, yeah. I've lost the faith in, in a certain sense. Yeah. And, and by the way, you, like the reason they make you sign these two year contracts is that a lot of these companies believe it takes them that long to get you to get going. launched. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately I don't think I'm like a brand new director that it's like, Hey, we got to figure out what to do with you, Oren, you know? Sure. But it is a thing where they're introducing you to their reps and getting them hyped and all of that. That's part of it as well. It's tricky stuff. It's super emotional. I consulted with at least 10 director friends about whether I should leave this company mm-hmm. or not. And basically nine out of 10 of them said yes. And one out of 10 of them said maybe they're all just like yeah go do it and it still took me like a month to do it and i i just and felt i can't speak so for those other directors but i was like Oren, do it you're being an idiot like i i don't think i give that pointed of advice very often i can think of a, a just a few times right but and for I you it was yeah crystal clear because yeah. because from a practical and business point of point of view there's no reason not to but from an emotional point of view i feel sure a connection to the people I was working with. And I feel some debt to the work that we got to do together, you know, but they profited from it too. It's on their website as well. And they're getting awards too, whether I'm still with them or not. My old manager I was with for years and years and years believed in me. (laughs) That's signed me when I was like in my mid twenties, you know, like I was a baby. Yeah. It was hard. This is the worst breakup of my life. I'm lucky, you know, I got married young, so. So yeah, so if you have any opinions on how to fire agent, how, by the way, uh, you can also get dropped, which is also a horrible thing. (laughs) And that's happened to me also. So yeah, I've been on both sides of this. Don't, don't, uh, don't mistake it. All by myself. Yeah. That's a Bridget Jones reference for everyone out there. Speaking of managers. Sure. You've been managing recently. I've been managing recently, not uh, not in the, the sense that we were just talking about, but in terms of leading a team of talented artists, I have been showrunning for the last few weeks, which has been really cool. And what does showrunning mean for our, our uh, new listeners? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically I have a, a team of writers and post people and production people, all of whom I am overseeing to get the best creative work out of them and make sure that everything is done on time and in an efficient way and, and to get the, just the best creative product out of everyone basically. And are you talking about Um, writing, pre-production, production, production, post-production distribution? So yes, whole thing. So, so this, uh, the show is distributed as, uh, both a show on YouTube and a podcast. So it's kind of, it's both video and audio as two kind of discrete, products but it's essentially two different shows basically two different staffs of writers same post team no i take it back uh there's some crossover in the post team but like so it's a lot it's just there's a ton of moving parts but the thing that's been on my mind lately is that i have just been trying to consciously decide what sort of leader i want to be and and how i decide to approach problems on kind of every level basically well like what's my philosophy what's my management philosophy and you know it's informed by this problem that hollywood has where 
oftentimes the way that you're promoted into one of these situations is because you're really great at the creative aspect of it, right? You're a super funny writer, you're a super funny actor, you're an incredible stand-up, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're running a small company, right? And then the show, the sense of like a TV show, you're probably like a writer and then all of a sudden you're in charge of like 100, 200 people, right? And there's help, there's oversight, but like you're the person, and you don't have any management training. You don't have like conflict training. There's all sorts of stuff that like if you were, if you'd gone to business school and you worked your way up, there would be educational parts, classes that you would be taking. And you'd be kind of like the the self-improvement track is kind of part of cor- corporate culture. And it's not really a part of Hollywood. And so you kind of have to figure it out yourself a little bit. You yeah. Know? If you became a showrunner from a producing track, it would make a little more sense, right? If you started as a PA and then a production coordinator and then a UPM and then a, 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 a PM and then a producer, line producer mm-hmm. and then a producer, and you'd really be managing people more mm-hmm. than creative. And then, uh, but you have obviously creative that you care about and that you're protecting. And then producers really are kind of the, where creative meets business. And then you become the showrunner. But like you're saying, a lot of people get to showrunner from writing, right? Because they have the idea to create the show and now they're running the show because it's their vision, but they don't know how to do reviews and give people raises and mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. are on strike and like people don't want to do this and do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Or even just like have a conversation, like a hard conversation with someone or even like make like, how do you decide if you're going to give somebody the day off or not? Yeah. Or like fire someone, which is like, yeah, my, sure. The, my big, the biggest sure. fear in my life. Sure. As we and just not, talked and about. And not just fire someone, but like do justice to them. Make sure that they, you give them a fair shot, mentor them in the ways that are appropriate, not let them, if they're not the right fit, drag down the rest of the team. Right. And because that hurts morale across the board and then also not get the company sued. Those are all real things that you have to be thinking about in a, in a meaningful way, like from a business perspective and just a, as, as a person. Yeah. By the way, uh, hot, like my advice, if you want to fire someone, but you hate firing people, just pick up your phone and pretend you got a phone call and just say, oh man, we lost the show. Well, it's been nice knowing you folks. And then <laughs> yeah, sure. that night call everyone else and tell them, Hey, mm-hmm. hey, shows hey back heads up. up, heads up. Yeah. You could just do a text thread without them on it. The other thing that I wanted to bring up to you was that as directors, we're constantly making these decisions as well. And I think as you, I think you and I are similar in that, like we're putting on a producer hat a lot as, as pretty typically, you know, we're engaged in those conversations. We're not the sort of filmmakers who are like, um, I'm going to leave this to the producers. We're both kind of hands on on figuring all of that stuff out. Yeah. Though I'm very actively trying to. Trying not to. Yeah, which is a good idea, I suppose. But the projects are short term. And so if you say, you know, hurt someone's feelings or don't nurture their career in the correct way or don't offer mentorship when you had an opportunity, you know, this shit's going to be over in about three weeks, you know. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you'll even keep on someone that's not that great at their job because you know, whatever. We only need two more days to Path of least resistance. Person. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you realize that someone's truly beefing it, unless they're a department head, 
Yeah. You probably just, just muscle through. Yeah. Don't ask yeah. that art person to dress yeah. the set. Yeah, exactly. And so now that it's in this more steady, long-term sort of situation, I'm just kind of thinking, I'm have to, I'm forcing myself to rethink all of the habits that I've built over the years. You know, I see other people do jobs and I get very excited and think about what, how I would do their job. When I hear you talk about that job, I'm like, oh, that would be cool to be in a room. Even when I substitute taught for your class that mm-hmm. one day, you know, of course I dreaded it and didn't want to do it and was doing you a huge favor, but also I kind huge of favor. like loved it, like being the professor and having all mm-hmm. these, these students yeah. listen to me. And yeah, you turned the chair around backwards. You mentioned that Shakespeare was kind of a rapper. Yeah. I put my hat on backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, just, I'm the cool teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Matt Enlow. Anyway. But then I think about, oh no, like someone just did a really bad job on what, what you assigned them to do. And now you have to do their work over or, mm-hmm. can, or show them how to do their work better. Both very difficult things. But either way, if the person above you sees that the work's not done well, you're the one in trouble, not the person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that stuff stresses me out and makes me like just want to work on my own. Yeah, it is stressful. I am often brought into scenarios where... There were growing pains, you know, I'll I'll use the metaphor over the last God decade, probably of like companies that built the house while they were living in it. And I'm the guy who walks in and is like, how come you put that door there? And they're like, huh? We we had no choice, you know, like, yeah, we're making doors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're just like, that was the only place we could put it because it was three of us and now it's 200 and, and we don't have a system yet, you know, or in your, your conflict averse, what do you, um, sure. If you want me to be, <laughs> there we go. But, uh, you can always uh, pass over on the rock. He's going <laughs> to sink it. You know, how do you deal with conflict? Right. Say someone's not doing a good job. What do you do? And it's subjective. Also, it's not, Oh, you're not hitting a quota. Right. It's like, right. Oh, I don't think this joke is strong enough. Yeah. Or like you're not, yeah, you don't understand the spine. There's no hook to the story or whatever. Paint me a picture. Those are notes you give all the time. Right. As a director, obviously I have a lot of opinions on the writing and the scripts and the things that I'm directing. Unfortunately, in the advertising world, you can suggest and you can try to improve things, but you're not really the boss of the script. So. Uh, Either people are into your ideas or not. Mm -hmm. Either way, you have to direct what they approve. Uh, But, you know, and kind of more scripted things. I mean, I I talked about a couple, you know, scenarios I had a couple weeks ago where I had two talent uh, on two different shoots show up and not want to do what I wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I had Mm -hmm. one guy show up and say the script was no good. We had to rewrite the whole thing. And I had to, in that situation, the management was like, hey, I'm listening to you. But please know that we need to get something done today. Mm-hmm. And so you're not off the hook yet, but I hear you and I want you to be happy. Uh, and let's shoot this other stuff and, and throw me a bone here and help me out while we shoot this other stuff, while we figure out the thing that you have an issue with. Um, and then with my, the other actor that I had that just, you know, kept changing things without, without asking me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in that point because he was kind of in a position of power with my management skills needed to work in the other direction and tell my bosses, my other, the other people in power that I'm, why I'm changing everything because I'm trying to make him happy. So 
but I think on set, I've gotten pretty objective about some of the things I like and don't like. Mm-hmm. I remember I worked with this DP, Nelson Craig, years ago. He went to USC and he mm-hmm. now directs like the boys and becomes super successful. He's a really amazing DP, but he was like very stern on set. I remember one time I set a floppy uh, next to uh, like a big light and he said to me, soft side always out. I was like, what? He's like the floppy soft side. It's not, not in like the soft sides in, it needs to always be out. And I was like, uh, okay. And I, I thought it was like such a tiny detail and he had a crew of probably like 20 people, this DP. Mm-hmm. And he was, he, there was no like, Hey, let me give you a tip. It was just like, mm-hmm. Hey, you're doing that wrong. You're doing that wrong. You're doing that wrong. And, and, and even though it, it can kind of be off putting sometimes, like I saw how good his stuff was and how mm-hmm. fast he mm-hmm. climbed up the ladder, just being like that and knowing what he wanted. And I, I and I've tried to kind of do that myself. I'll say, Hey, like I'll, I'll literally tell the boom operator, like, Hey, don't boom from in front of the light, you know, like boom mm-hmm. from we're putting the camera here. So you should be like, I, I don't have, I, I've like lost a lot of my niceties on set. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, do you know, would you think that this would be better than sure. this or this would be better than that? And it's because on set, it kind of doesn't matter if anyone likes you. It, like, you want to be a good person, right? You're not screaming at anyone. But like, you know, there's a, to a certain extent, that's true. But right? I'll do it up to like to an executive producer or producer. I'll say, hey, the way I know you want to do casting like this, but the way I like to do it is like this. So can we do mm-hmm. it like this? I, I have a little bit of that. But, but also sure. I try to be, choose my battles. Choose your battles. Yeah. Yeah. So the, in this conversation, I'm realizing that the difference between short-term projects and long-term projects is that part of it is that you have an opportunity for investment, right? Because if, uh, the lame duck art person, as your example on a commercial, you just don't ask them to do anything anymore. And the problem eventually just sort of fades away. If you're employing that person for the foreseeable future, you can either fire them, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can teach them and they can get better, right? I mean, don't you have that fantasy of calling in this like art person <laughs> into your office and saying, listen, Michael. Mm-hmm. Really Michael Art. Yeah. Michael yeah. Art. Uh, Michael F. Art. We have a show here that is really important to us. We have a lot to get done and I find that your pace is not up to everyone else's pace. And sometimes mm-hmm. the decisions you make don't seem to be well thought out of. You mm-hmm. have two options. One is I totally understand if you want to go somewhere else, if you're unsatisfied, you know, and mm-hmm. feel free to tell me if you are, I can try to help, help you out, but we need your pace faster. And we need this, like, what do you choose? Do you want to work on improving your, mm-hmm. yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you want to leave? Of course, it's very easy to have this conversation on a podcast in real life. I'd, sure. My knees would probably be like knocking together under my desk. Um, but do you, is that something that, that like you would do is tell someone, Hey, you're not <laughs> yeah. performing well. Here so are the, for the first thing, this is a thing that, um, be producing partner from uh, see you next Christmas, uh, taught me have those conversations with another person in present? addition. There's another, there's another person present in the room for any sort of like anything serious, basically accountability, someone to the second to check you to remind like bounce off of it's essential and anytime i've ever had a hard conversation solo i've regretted it 
if I didn't have another person with me, even just to be like, you know, if it gets a little emotional or whatever, like to ask yeah. them afterwards, did, is that, did I say, I said that right or whatever, you know, I mean, you're obviously just in the moment, right? you don't want to feel like you're ganging up on someone. Sure. But sure. yes, but I think the more important thing is that you have some perspective on the conversation mm-hmm. from someone else. Yeah. Accountability, witnesses, all of that stuff. Two, um, I think it's incumbent on any good manager to, I wouldn't say like, hey, the choice is or you could leave. But like you do have to, in a really clear and kind way, but but explicit way, outline the things that you need to see improved upon and then check in with them to make sure that those things are actually happening and let them know, give them feedback of like, Hey, I noticed that you're doing X, Y, and Z, right? However, that's improved. However, we really need to see A, B, and C as well. Like those still aren't happening. How can we make that make more sense for you? Right. right. That, that is a part of it for sure. But it's not something I fantasize about. That's for <laughs> goddamn sure. Yeah. Um, I, it's the opposite. I dread it. I dread it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you want like you want to feel that you're helping the situation mm-hmm. and i guess maybe mm-hmm. that's what is exciting to me i i think i've mentioned my my favorite management trick on the podcast many times before but i learned it from my old boss when i was at worked at disney and i was especially annoyed by some limitations the actors didn't want to come on the days we wanted to shoot the scripts weren't ready mm-hmm. the location mm-hmm. i wanted wasn't available they came, everything and I was just like grumbling about everything and complaining about everything and he came up to me and he said Oren uh, you're a very important part of this company you're a very important part of this group and a lot of people look up to you to see how they should be feeling about how things are going and when you're angry and grumbling and complaining and upset that makes everyone else angry and complaining and upset and they realize things aren't going well so I need you to be positive, to be optimistic, to be mm-hmm. problem solving instead of, you know, problem pointing out instead of pointing out problems. And so it really affected me, him saying that. And I think you talk about this a lot. Like if you can give someone else some sort of responsibility and leadership role, they now hopefully change their attitude into problem solving as opposed to mm-hmm. Uh, complaining about things yeah yeah i i think that's um that's a lot of what i've been thinking about um but you know the other side of all of this is that uh we're all artists as well like it's not like we're just manufacturing cogs and sprockets you know Mm -hmm. um and so there's always the sweet spots that you kind of want to retreat back to so for every every time it's like gosh i'm not getting the results i'm looking for out of whatever department or team member or whatever there's a part of me that wants to like go back to the writer's room and pitch jokes or jump into an edit and just finesse a cut you know all of those things that got me to this job in the first place you always want to go back to it is my job also like like we're talking a lot about the management because that's the topic of the show but most of it is there to just bring my artistry to improve the show in pretty explicit ways and that's a weird thing as well do you ever find yourself in a similar scenario where it's easier just to like 
ignore the, <laughs> ignore the problem and just like, you know, go, go focus on the, the art of it all. Yeah. I mean, I, like you mentioned earlier that we're very production oriented producer thinking, and I'm actively trying to not do that. Uh, even today, these locations that I really, 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 really loved, like they were far beyond the second, like the backup location is like a hundred times worse than the main location. I found out today, the locations I wanted were not available. Uh, and part of me was like, well, uh, producer me is like, okay, I guess those are the dates and they're expensive. Mm-hmm. And these other locations we can make work. Sure. This bedroom isn't as cool, but I guess we can shoot it at this angle and it'll mm-hmm. be fine. Or, and then a, a fear starts rising in me. Like if I fight for the location I want, what if it's not that good? What if there are other issues, you know? Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. I start double check, you know, questioning my own opinions and my own things that I'm trying to get done. And I start thinking like the producer and start worrying about money and schedule and I find that things just get worse. I just compromise on every, every possible way. And I'm trying really to say, Hey, this location is really much, much, much better. If we can't get it, let's keep looking for locations or we can use this other location. But I just want it to be noted that I am not a fan Mm -hmm. of the location. Well, and and I think the boy would talk about a good, a gift that directing teaches you being nice, being easygoing, rolling over, being a pushover in the most extreme, I'm not calling you that, but in the most extreme examples, that's not good leadership either, right? You brought up uh, a word I've been using nonstop lately, and that's the integrity of the project. Yep. I knew, I knew that's the right thing. It's it's so dumb because it's like. Uh, obviously we've known this word for a million years, but recently I've, I've just loved it. (laughs) And here's what I like about it. Um, because it places the importance and the onus on the work, not on the individual, right? Mm -hmm. Oren's not doing a bad job phoning in his pages or not composing a shot, right? Or whatever. It's that we're trying to protect the work And therefore I want you to rise to the challenge of making this product, this show even better. It's not about better. It's not about you. It's not about Matt's vision. It's about the integrity of the show. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And the promise that we made the viewers that we want to make good. And also the sacrifices that we made to decide to move here and follow this career path and, you know, everyone's here struggling to make something awesome. Like there's not a single person that I think maybe we've ever worked with literally ever in entertainment who isn't sacrificing in pretty significant ways to do this work. Well, I think that's all true. So we have uh, just a few minutes left for our final topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were supposed to have 45 minutes for this topic. Mm-hmm. Time management. We had our guests Steve Desmond, the writer of Knock at the Cabin, recommend a book called Essentialism. I've been reading it. Unfortunately, I haven't managed to find enough time to read it. it. But it's really, I mean, it's just so obvious. But it's like, hey, you have all these things you're committed to in your life. Kids and exercise Mm -hmm. and eating Mm -hmm. and work and jobs and whether you're you're a freelancer or not. If you're a freelancer, it's probably 20 other projects. And if you're a creative, uh, plus 10 of your own projects and it's about, Hey, you're just going to spend your entire life chasing all these things, being late to everything, not doing anything to the 
best that it can be done if you just say yes to everything. And essentialism is about saying, hey, this project is cool, but it's not really what my life passion is. Or this job could make me some money, but it is pushing me the exact opposite direction from what I want to do. And it's really about how to identify the things that are important to you. And ever since I started reading that, reading that book, I've been in my mind trying to say no to things, but somehow <laughs> I found myself in the middle of eight projects and I'm, you know, recording voiceover for one thing and I'm getting a text about whether I saw the Slack message on another thing. And if mm-hmm. in the Slack message, can I go to the Google doc and click on the link and give notes yeah. on is cut three better than cut four? By the way, when is your cut going to be done? We need you to change the VFX on this thing. And that's literally a tenth of the type of um, stuff I have to stuff deal with. You're dealing with also, yeah. hey, make this locations deck. And when I'm making a locations deck, it's not just like drag some images into a Google slide document. It's be thoughtful about which pictures you show and how you show them and how you're pitching and the order and how, yeah, the, how you present things so yeah. that they get approved in the way that you need them to, to make your life easier, all that stuff. Everything I'm doing is hard, yeah. you know, yeah. and so many of the things aren't even like paying jobs that some of them are like, Hey, we want to submit you to this. What can you send us some of your stuff that has dogs in it or something? You know, so it's like you're doing all this busy work and I just can't figure out when to say yes or no. I'm trying to say no, but every one of these opportunities seems like I should say yes to. Yeah, well, and I think they're all towards your goal of being a working commercial director, which is the other part that's hard. It's not quite the same. You know, I wonder if they have the freelance creative lifestyle examples in there. You know, I think that like, I haven't gotten there yet. It's not as cut and dry for us. Yeah. But also like, what if you're, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and you're Mm -hmm. a, you know, a teacher at an elementary school and Mm -hmm. someone says, Hey, you can make a good amount of money doing this phone sales job at night, (laughs) even though you're exhausted Mm -hmm. and should be grading papers. I haven't gotten to the part of the book that, is like, hey, we realize some people have to just take anything they can get. <laughs> right, right. I think that that book, because I'm vaguely familiar with it, I feel like I heard the author on a podcast probably five or six years ago. I think that it presumes that you have a job where you can set those boundaries, right? Like, so if you're a teacher, there's a big difference between saying yes to coaching the intramural kickball league after hours. Right. Yeah. That's a great example. And not teaching a sixth period because you don't want, because you don't have the bandwidth. Right. Like that's, I think that's the decision making process that that is prime for it. You know? Yeah. I think they even talk about meetings like, Hey, Mm -hmm. if you don't think that, if if someone invites you to an hour long meeting that only two minutes apply to you, don't go. Tell them you were not going to go and just to have two minutes with you later. Yeah, yeah, and I think about that a lot lately. Lately, because as I'm onboarding with this project and just learning the studio and everything, I'm in meetings all day, and like a lot of my coworkers are in a different time zone. So like, you know, I'm doing a good twelve hours, which as a film person you're kind of like well yeah of course 12 hours no big deal but it's not the same every single day of your life it's a big deal yeah 
yeah, it's a huge deal. Um, and I, I'll, I'll be able to curb that relatively soon, I think. But at this point, I'm just trying to like, just get it all in, just kind of brain dump as fast as possible so that I can get good at my job so that I, I can slow things down again, rather than spending the next six months slowly catching up. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. But I do think there is something valuable in saying, uh, hey, you know, I can't. I can't do this. Um, but then, you know, sometimes people will push you. I mean, I, I say, sorry, I'm busy all the time. And then people will say like, well, when are you available? Can you do it this weekend? Can you do it next week? And I'll just push it off. You're spending time fielding those answers too. You're like, well, let me check my calendar real quick or whatever. I know. What do you think when people, people pitch us a podcast guests like mm-hmm. multiple times a day? And a lot of times I'll... Most of the times we don't respond at all now. Uh, but when we do respond, you never I almost respond. Never, I never respond, and here's why. I assume that those emails are automated. I assume that we're getting a follow-up email because we didn't respond, but they're tracking whether or not we opened it, right? So, like, we're on a... This is a good example. Like, we're on a list of awesome podcasts you definitely want to get your filmmakers on. Right. All PR companies have these. They probably, and they have the good ones have um, expensive software that's tracking all that stuff for you in the same way that salespeople are or whatever. Right. They're probably using some sort of prospecting tool or some sort of list um, or something custom for PR. And so I don't think that any of our personal contacts take it personally. It's just not in their inbox. If some, if it feels like someone is personally emailing us because they're from a smaller shop or they're emailing on their own behalf or whatever, and they've pinged us multiple times, yeah, then I feel bad. But I don't know, man. Like, there's no way we're the only podcast they're emailing. They're emailing at least ten or fifteen. No, you know. But a lot of times we get, hey, Matt Norin, we love your podcast. We especially love this episode about this thing and. Mm -hmm. You know, we just got one and we actually are considering them as a guest because they kind of told us their story and how they connected to Mm -hmm. our podcast. However, I'm much more likely to be like, hey, right now that's not what we're looking for, but check in with us in a month. You know, I I try to not lose people completely. I try to have them, I I snooze them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I just get all these things piled up because I'm snoozing everyone instead of saying no. Yeah, I think that the archive email is a no you mean like not like responding. by not responding that's a no yeah yeah or and i think we're sleeping on a, a major part of this this time management debacle though and that's the personal projects that mm-hmm. don't have an external motivator right, right. like there, there's not a, there's no one else holding you accountable you just want to write that spec for that short film or that feature or that TV pitch or whatever it is you're trying to put together. And so the person that you're accountable to is yourself. And it's easy to be like, Oh, I'm going to turn down these meetings or whatever, but it's much easier to just procrastinate on those projects, especially when you're busy. What do you think of that? Where, where are you personally on personal projects and how you set boundaries to, to give that space? Or is that something that you're just kind of like not doing right now? Honestly, I'm not doing a ton of personal projects and nothing big. Like I'll do if I have an idea mm-hmm. or I think something's cool. I mean, you did cool. sell a podcast. 
I did sell. Yeah, I have a show that's that's in. It was sold, and we're writing so, right now, and we're waiting yeah, yeah. for our next step. So, so that's patently untrue, <laughs> you know. Right, but and I, you made time for it, right? Yeah, but you know, I made that show during like 2020, like COVID, sure, yeah, 1.0. Yeah. Um, and there was momentum because when I worked at Disney, I worked with this writer, and we hit it mm-hmm. off, and we did two shows together, and then I got this Lifetime movie that just came to me off of my first movie and I had my writer friend help me rewrite it. And then off of that, we decided, Hey, that was went pretty well. We should pitch a new show. And we got producers attached and we took it around town and it got some good responses and it didn't sell. But ultimately I was like, we're so dumb. If we just stop here, mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to start with another idea. And my friend had an idea and we developed it and we made a podcast out of it. And a lot of the time I had to work on it was during COVID, like 2020, the first the first half of COVID. So I think this is a little bit of revisionist history, though, because you definitely recorded a lot of it before. Yeah. OK. Beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Maybe maybe we just edited and re-edited during COVID. Yeah. 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 I'm not saying you didn't noodle during COVID, but like. A meaningful amounts of it happened before that. Yeah, you're right. And that was, you know, I only had one kid at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So easy. Just a walk in the park. Right <laughs> yeah. I mean, one kid is like no kid. So <laughs> nothing. Um, to one kid to two parents. We're two kids to two sure. parents. Um, yeah. One to one ratio. It's totally different. Anyway, I do think that nowadays, like I still have my like list of ideas the other yesterday i wrote like an idea for a tv show that i'm super excited about uh but you know we all have i'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has like a notes app or a notebook or something a moleskin where they have ideas and they write things down so i'm still excited about making my own things but i'm in much more of a place where if i find out about a job opportunity i try to think of what which of my ideas that I'm passionate about, I can apply to that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I try to really mix my passion projects with my work projects. The only way I can ever get those passion projects done are either a, they're super easy. Like, let's say like I'm seeing a lot of people make AI art now, like the Perez brothers who I'm pretty sure listen to this podcast. They've been making new AI art on Twitter every day and they're pretty good at it. And but it's it's easy. You know, you can do that in like 15 minutes. It's like making this podcast. This is basically like our passion project that we mm-hmm. keep doing. But like writing a TV show, writing a feature, making a movie, like I just don't see myself doing that unless something snowballed into being big enough. And I had someone like on my the scripted show that I sold. I have a partner that's really holding me accountable to it. And and the only reason that show exists it's this, just like this podcast. Like if you weren't part of this podcast, this podcast sure. would have died after episode two, maybe. Uh, by the way, I have an idea for a new podcast I want to pitch to you <laughs> after we record. Oh, good. <laughs> no, um, I think it's really good. I actually No. Think. See, I took your advice. No, I, you can still listen to a pitch. You don't have to say <laughs> yes to the pitch. Uh, sorry, I don't have time. Uh, anyway, so yeah, the passion project is a good question. And I think... That's why it's helpful to either have a ton of money or to do it early on in your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked to Charles Hood, previous guest mm-hmm. and, uh, and filmmaker, 
who listens to the show. So nice. Thanks, Charles. And he mentioned the um, the project parabola that we talked about an episode or two ago where you start off thinking, oh, I should just shoot it. All of my ideas are good. And then you decide, oh, they're really I shouldn't do this for X, Y and Z. And then you realize, oh, I should just make things. Um, and he agreed. He agreed. I think that the difference between you and I right now is that you've got some solid heat, right? Like that Rebel Wilson spot is really good. You're, you've got new reps, but like the way that you maintain that heat is either by continuing to do awesome projects or to self-generate. And so, um, and you self-generate a lot of different ways, but, uh, that it's just part of the business for people. And like, it's an essential part of the business. It's career development. And so it is an essential practice that you have to figure out some way. And whether it's your version where it's like, you're just banking it into all of these other opportunities or you're generating your own opportunities. It's still a thing that you have to figure out. Unpaid endorsements. Are you familiar with the show jury duty? There's a new show on freebie called jury duty freebie is one of those streaming platforms like pluto or uh 2b these ad-based streaming services freebie i think originally was imdb tv and they rebranded it as freebie Mm. anyway you can get it on most smart tvs and stuff the premise of the show is that it is kind of like a workplace sitcom set in the world of jury duty right like these people are called in for this case and You know, it's kind of an eclectic, zany group of people and it's shot like a documentary and is like improv scripted, but everybody is an actor except for one person. One juror doesn't know that this is all fake. That they're on a TV show? He, He thinks that it's a documentary about being on a, serving on a jury and everyone else is improvising in in or or they're you know soft scripted you know uh playing along in like this crazy jury case and it is great it's really great the characters are really like fun and well fleshed out he's not the brunt of any of the jokes it's kind of um kind of sweet natured and laugh out loud funny james marsden plays himself in it (laughs) that's cool and He's really funny. He's really, really funny. He yeah. and like I saw him in an interview um talking about how like he was really worried about it feeling like a prank or like and he never wanted it to be at the expense of this guy. And he like the producers were totally uh, all about that, making sure that basically all the cast members are all doing really embarrassing, really stupid things. And this guy is just And like, the case what is, is fake a fake the case. The face is case is fake, everything's great. Is the courtroom fake? fake? Um, you know, I, I can't, I don't think so. Actually. I think it's a real courtroom. Does this, I do it's have, the same guy that comes back every day to jury duty. Yeah. And they, they do a really good job of like they're sequestered, mm-hmm. you know, so they're all kind of living in a hotel, not far from my place actually. Yeah. It's, they don't call it the sportsman's lodge, but do you know the sportsman's lodge on like Ventura and Laurel? I think it is. No, I don't really know that side of the. Yeah, sure. Really? Yeah, the, the other side of the hill. Anyway, it's like now like a very bougie mall. It was originally kind of like this motel. And anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, jury duty is the show. It's free on freebie. It's not mean. I've laughed out loud many times. I really love it. Wow. It's a really good recommendation. 
Okay, cool. So mine, just, just going to go real quick. I'm enjoying beef. I know everyone knows about it, but I also like it. And I noticed that Jake Schreier is a producer director on beef and he's also a director on Dave, which dude, I mean that, that show just keeps getting better. I just love it so much. Tony Ascenda directed the third episode. It was awesome. The second episode, either the second or the first, they're making a music video. Have you seen mm-hmm. season three? Mm-hmm. I'm not caught up now. Uh, it's like, it's like a Robert Altman film on speed. <laughs> it's so good. Just two other random things I'm going to rattle off. One is Adobe now can automatically transcribe any, anything you put in it. It's mm-hmm. insane. It'll just write mm-hmm. the script, you know, in the transcription window. So you can, I was editing some voiceover stuff I made today and I can just literally find just search for what I said and I found it. Yeah. So, you, so it's like being able to Google in your script, you know, like if you've got your draft pulled up and you're like, Oh, I, this character's name or, or a keyword or whatever, you can just jump to it. Imagine if you did that in footage, yeah. that's really where I feel like it's, it's incredible for people. And then uh, last rec is on Twitter. This guy I follow uh, at Nick floats and I C K F L O A T S. He just gives advice on how to use mid journey and get like the, best images and talks about lighting film stock camera angles subject matter uh and he's just doing experiments all day long and he shows you the prompt he uses and i've learned so much about how to use mid journey from this guy at nick floats okay thanks everyone for listening uh if you want to find out more you can hit us up on all social media we're at just shoot a pod we'd love to hear uh you email us just email us and say hi it doesn't even matter someone on instagram sent me a message and I wrote back, they were like, I like the last episode. And I was like, oh, awesome. And he was like, ah, you're responding to me. Now I know I have like an open pathway to talk to one of my favorite podcasters. So you all do. Just email me. Just shoot a pod at gmail.com and I will email you back. I promise. There's like a 48% chance you'll get an email back within a week. Yeah. I am. Um, Not from Matt, just from Lauren. I promise I will read them. <laughs> yeah. Every uh, once in a while, I would say probably one in five, I give a very thoughtful response back. Okay. Mm. That number is a little fudged. It might be a little fudged, but I, every once in a while, I'll give you something yeah. meaningful. And once I'm in, I'm in. But like, you know, but uh, hit us up on Twitter and we'll try to answer the questions on the show too. Like, I, I think it's more like I want to get the stuff that applies to everybody out there anyway uh you can follow us across all social media at just shoot a pod and me at mr madden low and i'm at o kaplan on instagram this episode was edited by our amazing editor who is really bad at saying no also which is why he's still our editor and we appreciate him so much noah bayshore and our producer is tyler small and you're listening to music from the free music archive and the artist jazar and we will catch you next time thanks everyone goodbye goodbye